Hey, hey, welcome back to the Killer Kind Podcast. It's your host, Stephanie Miller, as always. And I won't bore you with too much of an intro here, but I did want to say thank you for all the feedback on last week's episode. Um, A lot of you seem to like that one a lot. And I loved hearing your thoughts. And as always, I'm super grateful um, for all the encouraging words that make me keep wanting to do this. So thank you guys. Anyways, I have a different type of case for you guys this week. It's different in a couple different ways. But the main way is that this will be a two-part case. This is my first one. So I hope you like it. Bear with me if you don't. (laughs) This week, I will be covering part one. And I'll be back in just one week with part two. There was just way, way, way too much to unpack with this one that I think it needed a two-parter. And I did a poll over on the Instagram page asking what you guys thought about a two-parter. And everyone said they were all for it. So I'm excited. I think you'll enjoy it. So Without further ado, let's jump into the suspicious death of Tamla Horsford. So today we'll be talking about 40-year-old mother of five, Tamla Horsford. She was attending an adult slumber party, if you will, where she was found dead the following morning. Now, with this case comes a huge conversation about race that I have to talk about briefly. This woman was a black woman at a party with 10 all-white females. And the reality is this poor woman and her family were failed by law enforcement, by the media especially, and many others. Some may disagree with that, but after looking into this, I, along with many other people who have heard about this case truly believe that if this was a white female who died at a party with other black women, this case would have received way more attention than it did. And more importantly to me, I believe Tamla's death would have been looked into more closely. Now, this is a suspicious death, and I have personal opinions about what I think really happened, but I do want you to form your own opinion here. And all I really want to do today is bring light to this case and just bring up the importance of, you know, getting the attention cases deserve, regardless of the actual outcome. And like, maybe it was an accident situation. This case deserved more than that, more than what it got. So without further ado, let's get into it. Like I said, Tamla was 40 years old and married to a man named Leander he was referred to as Lee, I believe, and I've heard that Tamla was sometimes referred to as Tam, so you may see those names in reference, and I'll mention that a few times in this in this episode. Um, the two originally lived in Florida, but after a job change in 2013, the two moved to Cumming, Georgia, which is in Forsyth County. Now, I have to mention that Forsyth County was known for his for its extremely racist history. In 1912, Forsyth County actually forced all African Americans out of the county. Like, literally. They were actually banned from the county. They were physically forced out of the area, and because of that, Forsyth was 100% white for 70-some-odd years. And it was not until 1987 when that changed. 
a man by the name of Chad Blackhorn decided he wanted to push Forsyth back into a multi-race community. In 1987, after a couple of different attempts of smaller marches, over 20,000 people came to Forsyth County and performed one of the largest civil rights marches since Martin Luther King Jr. And that march was a success for the most part. Different minorities did start to move into the area. However, to this day, the community consists of just 4% of minorities. And that is the majority Asian and Hispanic. But some change did occur. Either way. Now, all of that being said, there are still people today that think this racist mentality still reigns true today. I guess we can't really say whether or not that's true, but it could play a part in this case for sure. But despite all this negative history in the area, Tamla was excited for their move to a new town. She was definitely one for adventure and she really embraced change. I'll pause and say that I feel her on this because I am I know some people hate change, but I love it as well. I'm the kind of person who will drive a different route into work just to switch things up. Like and I feel like Tamla was definitely that way too. She loved adventure and anything new. She felt this move would be good for her and her kids and her family. She had five boys and one stepdaughter, which her stepdaughter stayed back in Florida. But her boys were big into sports and extracurricular activities, and they were very social. She knew they would flourish in this town, both socially and in sports. They also loved football, and Cumming was a big football town. And with her husband taking this new work opportunity, she was excited for what this move could do for her and her family. Her husband said that if there was anything you needed to know about Tamla, it was three things. She loves her family. She loves her life, and she loves you, no matter who you are. Literally, she was known to not know a stranger. And if you look at videos of her from this party, you'll see how she's talking to everybody like they've been best friends for years. But in reality, she barely knew these ladies. I only wish I was like that. (laughs) I've always kind of envied people who are so outgoing like Tamla. And she's also known to have have it together. She knew how to handle every situation. No matter how tense a situation may be, she always handled it with grace. And one last thing to note about Tamla was the fact that she always put her family first. They were a very close-knit family. Her and her husband had an amazing relationship, and she always made sure her family was taken care of. If she ever had to leave her family, she would do everything she could to make sure they were taken care of while she was gone, even if that meant being late to wherever she was going. She was just that kind of mom and wife. I mean, truly, she seemed close to perfect. So when the Horsford family moved to Cumming, everyone in the family quickly made friends. And for about five and a half years, seemingly everything was great. There was no sign of any trouble or any, you know, issues with anybody in the town. That was until November 3rd, 2018. Tamla had been invited to an all-female slumber party, and that was for a woman named Jean. It's it's spelled G-E-A-N-N-E, but it's pronounced Jean, so (laughs) I'm not just trying to be fancy. That's what she went by. Um, It was her 45th birthday. Jean later told investigators that she had planned the party for her birthday, but really there was a few reasons to get together, one being for her birthday, but 
then she was a big LSU fan and they were playing that night. So she wanted to get some girlfriends together to drink, watch the game and just have fun. This was also a celebration for making it through another football season. Everyone in attendance would later be considered, quote-unquote, the football moms. And with that said, Tamla was friendly with these women because all of them had boys that were the same age and played football together. But that's really the only time they hung out. Like, she wasn't best friends with these women. But nonetheless, all the football moms were invited, including Tamla. And she was excited to go. But like I said earlier, she put her family first. So the party was supposed to start between 6.30 and 7, but Tamla ended up not getting there until about 8.30. She told everyone that she made sure to have dinner with her family, and she also made a breakfast casserole for them to all have the next morning, knowing that she probably wouldn't be back in time to make breakfast. <laughs> so Tamla left her house shortly before 8.30, dressed in her onesie pajamas, that she had picked out for the party, and she made a pit stop for her favorite tequila, which she was actually going to give Jean as a birthday gift. So after Tamla gets to the party, all the girls are just picking at some food, drinking a little bit, and watching the game. LSU did lose that night, and in an interview with police, Jean said the mood was a little somber after that, but Tamla really tried to liven everybody up by trying to get them to drink the tequila that she brought, and everyone started drinking kind of more and more, and it seemed to be having a good time. Now, I will stop and say, Jean actually declined the tequila from Tamla because she said she does not drink tequila, and it's my understanding that nobody else in the house really drank it either, but everybody had kind of brought their own drinks that they were going to drink that night. So, just to go ahead and preface, it's kind of important a little bit later. So at around 10 p.m. that night, Tamla calls her husband just to check in, and he said that she seemed to be having a good time. Then at around 12.30 a.m., she calls her stepdaughter to show her off to the women at the party. Now, it's my understanding that her stepdaughter was either pregnant at the time or had just had her baby. I'm not sure which one. Her stepdaughter also reported that she seemed to be having a good time and getting along with everyone, and she appeared to be the life of the party that night. And it was reported a few times that she was the life of the party. But from what we know about Tamla, that shouldn't surprise us. <laughs> now, let's go to the morning after the party. So, Sunday, November 4th, 2018. Jean's aunt, Madeline, lived downstairs in the basement of the home. And to kind of paint the picture real quick for you, this house was pretty big. There were about, like, six bedrooms or so. And... The house was just in a big neighborhood, and it sat kind of on a slope. So although it was technically the basement, from the basement, you could walk straight out onto the back patio, right into the backyard, basically. So at around 5.45 a.m., Madeline runs upstairs to Jean's bedroom, where she was asleep with her 27-year-old boyfriend named Jose Barrera. And after about a minute or so, she was told she could come in. And once she got into the room, she specifically said she needed to talk to Jose. And she was pretty adamant about this for some reason. But Jean was like, no, clearly something's wrong. What do you, you know, what's going on? And that's when she told the two that their friend Tam was lying face down in the backyard, not moving. 
All three of them ran out to see what was going on, and around 8.59 a.m., 911 was called from the home. Now, I'm going to play you the 911 call. It's a little long. It's about seven minutes or so, but bear with me. I think it's, I think all of it's important. I think the whole thing's important. So listen through it and we'll talk about it. Forsyth County, 911. Hi, yes. Um, I, I need an ambulance and a place to my home. What's the address? 4450 Woodlake Court. 4450 Woodlake? Woodlake, okay. All right, 4450 Woodlook Court. What is your name? My name is John Myers, J-E-A-N-N-E. Okay, and your phone number is 609. Yes. Okay, what's going on? Um, we had people over last night when we were drinking. Most of us went to bed. One of them stayed on the balcony. She was drinking. And we just went out, sit outside, and she's laying face down in the backyard. It looks like me. I'm guessing maybe she fell off the balcony, but she's stiff. Okay. Is she breathing? I, I don't. I don't know if she's face down. Okay. How, how old is she? At 41. Here, hold on. Hey, this is Jose Pereira. Hey, have y'all checked to see if she's breathing? She's not moving one bit. She's not breathing. Um, okay. I just try to assess her Tesla. She's completely face down in the yard. Um, she is stiff. Okay. Do you know if she, um, um, do you see any blood or anything? Where she... Are you there? I am. Okay. I'm sorry okay. I was outside. It's okay. I'm not sure I happened to lie there for a second. Do you see any blood or anything to where, from where she fell? Um, I, I don't know if I should move her over. I mean, she's completely face down. Okay. I mean, can you just check and see if she's breathing? If, if she's not breathing and you and you know she's gone, then just leave her where she's at. If she... Okay. One not sure okay and that's the only blood that you would see that's what i can see without moving her over i had okay. her face um do you know if she um do you know if she was suicidal at all i have no clue i've met her one other time um you know like my girlfriend said people were over last night <clears throat> um just we were had she was her birthday party we we're not the woman that we believe to be deceased, but it's my girlfriend's birthday party. Instead of having everybody go out, she had everyone stay in. And she was the last one I saw before everybody, I mean, everybody was typically put off to bed. She was the last one in the kitchen. She was just either waiting around for a ride or waiting until the morning. Okay. How far is the, um, where she would have fell from, how far is the deck from the ground? 
Um, I would probably say maybe 20 feet. Okay. You know, 20 feet from where your feet would be on the railing. The railing itself is maybe three and a half, four feet. Okay. And what is her name? Uh, I know her name. We call her Tam. I'm assuming that's short for Tammy or Tamra. Was she there with anyone else? Uh, her name is Tam Horsford, H-O-R-S-F-O-R-D, so the black female. Um, I don't believe anybody was. Uh, my girlfriend has cameras here on the back deck that we can check. Okay. That I think would have caught the incident if she fell from here. Again, I... I True. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say if she fell from from the deck or if she was already downstairs. She was the only motor here, and I'm sorry. Hands a lot of them. Yeah, she was, she was the only smoker. I mean, I'm, I'm on the back deck right now, and, you know, cigarette lighter, I have to finger out here. Um, okay. I'm just trying to see where I'm going to my came from. Okay. All right. Um, have, are all the people that were there last night, are they still at your house? Okay. 
So a couple things about this 911 call. Number one, Jose and John seemed pretty hesitant about saying Tamla's name. It sounded like they were trying to avoid it, and they never ended up actually saying her full name. Um, they just called her Tam. So I just felt that was odd right off the bat. Then number two is that at first, Jose seemed confident saying that Tamla was deceased, saying that he had assessed her and she was stiff. But when the operator prompted him to check if she was breathing, he said, I just, I don't know. I can't tell. Maybe he said that at first because he didn't want to have to physically check her out. But just by looking at her, he was almost positive she was deceased. I don't know. That sat weird for me. I didn't like that. Then number three, at one point during the call, there was about a 20 second silence. I know you heard that. You probably checked your phone and was like, what's going on? But I wanted to leave that in there intentionally so you knew like that was part of it. Like the public 911 call, that's what it is. Now, it's unclear to me if this silence was generated by law enforcement to protect some sort of sensitive information during that portion of the call. Some speculate Jose muted the call because this was right when he was asked to check for a pulse. However, I believe this was generated by law enforcement just because it's clear the call cuts to the middle of another conversation about blood around the body. But I'll let you guys be the judge of that. And then there's the point where Jose mentions that there are security cameras all around this house and specifically one that would have caught Tamla going over the railing. Now, what's odd to me about that is this should be treated as a crime scene, not a suicide no matter what the initial thoughts are. Legally, that's how it's supposed to be handled. So it's weird to me that he's just like, oh, we'll go check the cameras. And then the operator didn't say, no, leave those for police, you know, blah, blah, blah. That may just be lack of experience on the operator's part. But to me, that should be a known fact that police should not be the last ones to check security footage they should be the first ones, not Jose. And Jose should absolutely know this because of his background, which we'll get into more later. But I'll say he is a former law enforcement officer for the Forsyth County Sheriff's Department. So just sit on that for now. But anyways, one more thing to point out is that Jose pointed out that Tamla was a smoker. And we find out later that she did smoke marijuana too. And he said that more than once, that she was only a smoker, or excuse me, she was the only one there that was a smoker that night, and that she had gone out on the balcony several times to smoke. So to me, he's trying to plant the idea that this was an accidental death, kind of placing her on the balcony, saying that she was probably high, or she's, you know, just too drunk, you know, she's out there, she's smoking, she's the only one, she's the only one going out there. And it's almost like he's certain, like kind of setting things up just to put the idea in people's head. Not just that he's concerned about somebody that he knows might have accidentally fell off the balcony. It feels calculated to me. But again, make your own judgment there and let me know what you think. But let's move on. So 
Corporal Miller with the Forsyth County Sheriff's Department was the first to arrive on the scene at 9.07 a.m., so pretty quickly after this 911 call. Now, initially the fire department and EMS were called at the same time as the police, but when Corporal Miller arrived, neither fire nor EMS were there yet. But Miller determined pretty quickly that it was obvious that she was deceased. Therefore, he canceled the call for the other two emergency services, which I don't know how to feel about that. To me, a medical personnel or coroner has to make that call, right? I mean, that's my thought. Regardless of your expertise, if you have no medical background, you shouldn't be allowed to make that call. But... I don't know what protocol technically is for that area, so who knows. But anyway, so once the officer arrives and determines she is deceased, he ropes everything off as a crime scene. He asks everyone still at the house to stay in one room near the front of the house. And for those that had left the party already or who had left before Tamla's body was found were asked to come back to the home. However, those who had already left were told to stay outside. They were kept separate from those who stayed inside the house. So Tamla's body was face down on the ground as if she had face planted. Her head was not turned to one side or the other. She was completely face down in the grass. She was about one foot and 10 inches from the bottom patio. There was a balcony directly over that patio, the balcony that everyone is assuming she fell from. Now, Her left arm was bent upwards by her face and her right arm was down straight by her side. Right away, it appeared that she had broken or fractured her right wrist. It was severely swollen and they were able to determine that her body had been lying in that position for quite a long time. Now, her body was taken for an autopsy by the GBI, which is the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. I know we've talked about the TBI and like the KBI or something, you know, in other cases, each state has like a, basically a smaller version of the FBI in each state. Um, now I will say, I can't remember for the life of me why, but I know that I don't, I don't like the GBI. <laughs> I think it had something to do with the Tara Grinstead case from the Up and Vanished podcast. Maybe I need to go back and listen to that to refresh my memory, but um, my mom and I both kind of listened to that podcast and we've discussed it over and over. And we both came to that conclusion and neither one of us can remember why. But I, I vividly remember thinking that I don't like them. I don't trust them. I'm just putting that out there. That may not mean anything for this case, but I'm just letting you know that I already don't care for these people. But anyways, while Tamla's body is being taken to the GBI, evidence is being collected by the investigators. And a rundown of the entire night was given by Jean. She said that the party consisted of her aunt, Madeline, her boyfriend, Jose, and then women named Nicole, Marcy, Sarah, Stacy, and Stacy's husband, Thomas, was there as well, Michelle, Paula, Jennifer, and Bridget. So, pretty big crowd. And I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm not going to give last names because... Sadly, these women have received, obviously, lots of hate and even death threats and and threats of every kind, Um, and I don't want to add to that, so please don't do that. I don't condone that at all. I mean, all these people are innocent until proven guilty. This could still be an accidental death. 
It's obviously a little suspicious, but don't go giving death threats to people, okay? Let justice come on its own, okay? Just be smart and don't be hateful. Don't add to the hate of this world. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, so John tells authorities that Stacy had put the party together and she had planned everything out. She said that most of the guests showed up between 6.30 and 7 p.m. that night. And the idea was to create a party-like environment. But since it was at someone's house, there was no worry about anybody needing to drive. And as I mentioned earlier, Jean says that Tamala arrived about 8.30 p.m. So a good bit later than everyone else. Now, I've mentioned there were two men at this party. And they were actually not supposed to be there that night. But apparently Jose wasn't feeling well, so he wanted to stay in. So he and John came to the conclusion that he would just stay downstairs in the basement and watch the game. And then he ended up asking Stacy's husband, Thomas, if he wanted to do the same. So they really weren't supposed to be upstairs with the ladies. However, that lasted all about the first half of the football game. At around halftime, the two guys went upstairs and ate some of the food that was up there. And then just from then on, ended up hanging out the rest of the night. Now, at around 1.30 a.m., when everyone was starting to go to bed, Tam tried to convince some of the ladies to stay up with her because she said she didn't get out much, so she was still wanting to stay up and kind of keep the party going. But everyone supposedly still went to bed, and Jean said the last time she saw Tamla was when she was sitting on the living room couch by herself, and she told her that she was going to go outside and smoke a cigarette, and then she'd come back in for the night. After this, Jean tells investigators that Tamla had pretty much been drinking tequila the whole night. It was the same bottle she brought as a gift to Jean, but again, Jean had said she didn't like tequila and told Tam she could drink it. So that's what she did. And according to friends and family, Tamla could hold her liquor. She loved to drink and she could drink anyone under the table. And she pretty much always drank liquor. She wasn't big on beer or wine. So I said that to say just because she was drinking tequila all night doesn't mean she was belligerent or anything. Even though the bottle of tequila was found the next morning and most all of it was gone. I'm not sure how big the bottle was, but I'm sure it was still a lot of tequila for just one person to drink. Even though it sounded like none of the other women drank the tequila that night. But nonetheless, Jean didn't say that Tam was acting crazy or anything. And she even said that when she was when she last saw Tam at around 1 a.m., she didn't seem intoxicated at all. She just seemed like her normal self. Now, at 10.30 that night, two of the ladies left. Sarah and Nicole. It seemed as though there was some sort of, like, babysitting issue for one of them. And then one of them had, like, puppies they needed to tend to. Legitimate excuses, but just FYI. So that narrows down the crowd a hair. Then at 1.47 a.m., Bridget left after being picked up by her husband. At 7.45 a.m., Paula left. Then at 8.30 a.m., Thomas and Stacy left, which that was just 15 minutes before Tamala's body was found. Now, these timestamps were provided to police by Jean because, if you remember, she had quite the security system in her house and every time any door opened or closed she got an alert on her phone and although it helped figure out exactly when certain people left there was also some questionable alerts too so at around 150 the back door opened a few times this was just 
a few minutes after Bridget left. So the back door opened at 1.49 a.m. It closed at 1.50. And then it was opened again at 1.47. And then it was never closed. And I know I'm unloading a lot of information on you here, but I hope you're staying with me. So after talking to Jean, please go to speak to Jose. Now, the officers on the scene immediately recognized Jose, and this was actually noted in the police report. As I mentioned earlier, Jose used to work for the Forsyth County Sheriff's Department. And at the time of Tamla's death, Jose still worked for Forsyth County, but he worked at the courthouse in pre-trial release, whatever that means. But Jose tells the officers that he went to bed at around 1.30 a.m. and that Tamla was still awake at the time. He said that she told him she was going outside to smoke and then she'd come back in and either sleep on the couch or go upstairs and sleep in one of the vacant kids' rooms. Now let me point something out to you. If you haven't already caught on to it, on the 911 call, Jose said that he last saw Tam in the kitchen and he thought she was either waiting on a ride or going to wait until the morning. Now he's saying... She told him that he that she was going outside to smoke and then go to bed. So which is it? And not only that, why does John and him have the same exact story about Tam specifically saying she was going outside to smoke and then going to bed? I mean, the two could have been standing there together, I guess, when this happened, but it feels rehearsed to me, right? Like, once again, they're planning ideas in everyone's heads. But here's what did me in. Here's what made me literally flip my lid. (laughs) In the report, the officers at the scene put together, there is a line that says, and I quote, Jose told me while he was cleaning up the following morning. Yeah, yeah, cleaning up? What the freak are you cleaning at 7 a.m. on a Sunday after a party that lasted until at least 1.30, according to you? Yeah. Lost my mind there. Anyways, the report goes on to say, while he was cleaning up, he found an unlit cigarette and a lighter laying on the floor of the porch. He said he knew the unlit cigarette belonged to Tamla because it matched the ones that she had been smoking all night. Now, it's not clear why he mentioned this. I guess he just was placing Tamla on the back porch and, again, planting the idea that some sort of accident had happened. But anyways... Let's unpack the cleaning comment for a sec. When did Jose have time to clean anything? He was supposedly woken up by Madeline when she found Tam's body. And then he immediately ran downstairs to resuscitate her or examine her to see if she's breathing while Jean's on the phone with 911. Then less than seven minutes from there, officers are on the scene and I highly doubt they're letting him clean anything. Yeah, I don't, I just don't like that. Don't like that at all. After talking to Jose, though, it was noted that officers spoke to the group of partygoers that same day. However, I haven't been able to find anything, any comment, statement, whatever, from anybody that day besides Jean and Jose. There are interviews from two to three weeks after of the partygoers, but none from that day that I can find. But Either way, a few of the partygoers mentioned that Tamla had also been smoking marijuana during the party, suggesting that 
that mixed with the amount of alcohol she had drank, some sort of accident could have occurred, which I'm sure made sense at the time. And, and it could make sense. But let's go on. Now, Tamala's belongings were found behind the living room couch, which was pretty close to the front entryway. Those items were a black jacket, a pink overnight bag, and within the pink bag was a smaller bag that did have a container of weed inside. Later that day, police drove Tamala's car back to her house, and they had to give the unfortunate news to her husband that Tamala had died. And then a few of the ladies that attended the party called or texted a few of Tamla's close friends and told them what had happened. And from there, it seemed the case was closed in a way. I mean, everyone who attended the party was released and not really given any information as to what was going to happen next. And it's my understanding the house wasn't even treated like a crime scene after that first day. I can't exactly confirm that, but it was known that people were coming in and out of John's house, and John had actually even invited Tamla's husband over. It was pretty clear this wasn't being treated as anything more than an accidental death, and that this was kind of the end of it. But the day after Tamla's death, her father, Kurt, ended up making an appointment with the investigators to figure out what the heck was going on. They had spoken to him over the phone, but he had a lot of questions, and he did not like how they had been handling the investigation thus far. When he spoke to investigators, he told them nothing really made sense to him. He said everything they were telling him just didn't sound like his daughter at all. Didn't sound like anything his daughter would do. First thing he said was that Tamala was notorious for always being cold. She was from the Caribbean. And if the weather was even slightly below 70 degrees, she put a jacket on. She often got made fun of for it. And on this particular night, the temperature was between 35 and 40 degrees. And when Tamla was found, she was just wearing her onesie and socks. I will say that when you're drinking a lot, your body can warm up on its own. And maybe she was hot inside. I know those onesies that you put on, they get hot easily. So maybe that's the case. Or maybe she just wasn't thinking about it at the time and she just went out and smoked and wasn't thinking twice. But I also don't know her as well as her father. So if that's a red flag to him, then I'll take that as a red flag too. And at some point, investigators asked Kurt if he wanted to see some of the crime scene photos and he agreed. Immediately, he felt something was wrong. The way her body was positioned and the lack of blood on the ground. He just knew something wasn't right. And the officers even agree with him. He's saying it was strange that there was not more blood, but they said that they had a theory that she had tripped over the railing, which I don't know how you trip over a railing, but whatever. She must have had some sort of medical event occur causing her death, not just the fall itself, if that makes sense. But because of that medical event they have this theory about, that's why they sent her body off to the GBI for examination, which... At the time of this meeting with Tamla's father, they were still waiting on those results. Well, those results came in the next day. The report said that the injuries Tamla sustained did not match what initial investigators reported. They said her injuries were more consistent with a higher fall, meaning that she had more injuries than someone should have from falling off a one-story balcony. Her right wrist was, in fact, fractured, like they said, or like they thought. There was also a one-inch laceration on her same on that same wrist. It doesn't give any clue as to where that cut 
could have come from. It's possible that that's where the bone came out of the skin when it broke, but I'm, I'm just speculating here. That's not clear. Like I said, authorities speculated that she might have used that right hand to brace her fall, but her right hand wasn't even the one up by her face when they found her. Her right hand was down by her side. So that doesn't make sense to me. I feel like if it's the hand she was bracing herself with, it would have been the one up by her face, but could be wrong on that. There was also an abrasion on her left forearm, which an abrasion, for those who don't know, is basically a scrape, like that first layer of skin is scraped or rubbed off. So she had the one abrasion on her left forearm, like I said, and then she had one on her left thumb on the backside of it by the nail and on the tip of her left pointer finger. Then she had a superficial abrasion on the right side of her forehead her left eyelid, one on the bridge of her nose, her right temple, and one on her chin. She also had a fracture in her second vertebrae, which is called the C2, which is also known as the hangman's fracture, which is a horrible name. This injury is most commonly seen in car accidents or major falls. It typically occurs when the head is knocked up and back, Tamla also had a laceration to the left ventricle of her heart. That can sometimes occur when there's blunt trauma to the abdomen or chest. Now, this is significant damage to Tamla's body, and it does indicate that the fall more than likely caused her death. However, despite the scratches on her face, none of her facial bones were broken. Her nose was not broken or damaged. Her tongue had not been bitten into and none of her teeth had chipped to me if she had fall on her face or her head she would have had way more significant damage to her face or head not just a few scratches and there is a debate on the internet here where some people think she has too many significant injuries from just one uh, one story fall but then there's the thought that she doesn't have enough injuries from a fall like this And I'm honestly kind of on both sides here. I'm thinking both. I think the significant injuries are certainly possible. But then I'm thinking, how does somebody die from just a one-story fall onto grass? And speaking of grass, there was no grass or debris found in her mouth or up her nose. And with the way she fell, to me, there would be something like that, right? I mean, to me, you would have something in your mouth or your nose like grass kind of up in there somehow certainly it's possible that she fell from a 14 foot balcony and it was just a freak thing that she died from that fall possible for sure but with everything else going on I just have a hard time buying it but I also will say that they received the toxicology report at the same time they received the autopsy and it wasn't good. I mean, Tamla's blood alcohol level was 0.238, which was three times the legal limit. Once someone's levels reach this high, typically that's when the person will start to become physically ill and they could even black out at this point. Now, just because that's typical doesn't mean it occurs with everyone at this level. She also, though, had THC in her system, which everyone at the party assumed or, you know, suspected. But 
there was one thing listed on the report that nobody was expecting. And that was something called Alprazolam. <laughs> Probably butchered that. And that's just the generic brand of Xanax. Now, Tamla was not prescribed Xanax. She was not prescribed any medication for that matter. And there was no medication found in her belongings or on her person. So why on earth does she have this in her system? But before we move on from the autopsy and the toxicology reports, I want to go back to her injuries a little bit. So basically, when I read through all of her injuries, none of it was making sense to me, honestly. It was too technical for my brain to handle. So I looked up some information on falling deaths. And one thing I found was the most, most of the time when a death occurs from someone falling, they either fall on their side or they fall directly on their head, like going head first. If they land on their feet, there's almost always broken bones in their legs and feet or their legs and feet are just shattered. And when somebody lands on their feet, that's typically from somebody intentionally jumping. So that tells me one that Tamala did not intentionally jump, which was suggested by a few of the people in the initial investigation. Then I saw where somebody pointed out that the majority of her injuries were from on the right side of her body, which would make sense based on the information I found on falling deaths. Most of the time they fall on their side or head first, like I said. So it looks like she fell on her side. However, in this report I read, technically if somebody falls on their side, they have fallen from a much higher point. Those from a one-story height typically fall on their head because in a falling death, everyone falls head first, but then the higher they, higher up they are, the more time their body has to turn. But in a one-story fall, typically they hit head first. Stay with me, people. I know it's a lot. But in the report, I saw almost every person that hit their head first had significant damage to their skull. And as we know, Tamala barely had any damage to her face or head besides a few scrapes. So I say all that to say that yes, her injuries are significant with a fall. However, number one, her injuries don't match injuries found in other falling death cases from the same height she supposedly fell from. Number two, this whole accidentally falling over a three-foot railing doesn't make sense to me. Tamla was five foot five, and the railing was three foot one inch tall, meaning over half of her body was below the railing. And investigators even tested the falling theory by purposely leaning over the railing, and they even stated that they had to lean pretty far over before they ever felt unstable enough to where they might could fall. Again, I don't want to be naive here and think that this isn't just an accidental fall or some freak accident, because it's certainly possible. But there are just some red flags throughout the rest of the investigation that don't sit well with me, and that don't sit well with a lot of people around the world. And trust me, we'll dive into that next week on part two. So that was part one. I hope you guys stuck with me. I hope you liked it. Um, part two will be next week. We'll dive into some interviews with the ladies that were at the party. And we'll go over all the suspicious slash troubling feeling around the investigation itself and just the women in general. So 
come back. I hope you like a part two. I was a little nervous about it. So if you don't, if you don't like it, let me know and I won't do it again. But so far, I think it's going to be good. And I think you guys will love next week's episode. And real quick, I mentioned on the last episode that we will be doing a giveaway again for hitting 5,000 listens. We're so close. We're only a couple hundred away. Um, I'm hoping that we hit it before um, the next episode. So I think after this one, we should be able to hit it, um, hopefully. And either way, though, once we hit 5,000, I will announce on the podcast Instagram page that we will be doing the giveaway and I will probably be giving away a tumbler. Um, I'm getting it designed now. I'm trying to figure out what I want it to look like, but I'm going to try to have the design and everything done for when the Instagram post goes live. And on that post, you'll be able to have all the information you need to enter the giveaway and enter for a chance to win the tumbler. So I'm excited for that. Um, the giveaway last time was fun and I'm excited to do it again. So With that, that's the end of the episode today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Definitely go over to the Instagram page and give me some feedback. Uh, Let me know what your thoughts are so far. If you think it's accidental, if you think it's, you know, foul play, let me know what you think. I think we don't have enough information just yet. There's some suspicious behavior for sure, but just wait until next week. You're in for a treat. (laughs) So come back and check out part two next week. Again, literally next week, not two weeks, next Monday. And we'll be here and going over all the details. So stay safe out there guys. And I'll see you back next week. Bye.